Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane. Blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall. The Bilski three on two to Wall in the middle. Up and good. Three on two fast break. Executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way for a foul. Gets to the foul line. Blocked from behind by Wall. Wolf with the rebound. No good. Rebound Bob Wolf. Pennsylvania. Hot left pass to Bilski. Jacob's going to run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf all the way underneath. And he goes in. Welcome to the Penalty Box. I'm Sam Mitchell here as always with Carter Thompson and Mark Margolis. And uh, joining us today is Senior Sports Editor Jonathan Pollock. And uh, we're really excited to uh, get started, so let's do it. Top in. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, welcome back, Carter. Excited to be back. <laughs> you missed it last week. You missed it. I did. I did miss it. The most anticipated debut in uh, DP Sports history. Yeah, so... Uh, we're going to start off talking about um, Penn football. Obviously suffered a uh, disappointing loss to Dartmouth. Um, really kind of got handled on the road. Can't uh, say I didn't you guys. call it. Last week I did make the prediction Dartmouth would win against my own rooting interest. But, uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I saw Dartmouth was returning a lot of their offensive firepower. We saw that in the 37 points they put up. Uh, their quarterback, Derek Kyler, beat out a Florida transfer, Jake Allen, for the starting spot. So this is a guy with a lot of talent who could definitely sneak up on a lot of people uh, this season. And frankly, I still think Penn football has a lot of question marks, uh, particularly at the quarterback position. Uh, you know, we saw we, Nick Robinson didn't play uh, in the first couple games, although he had an injury. Um, this, you know, the first two games really could have been a chance to really determine who the best quarterback was for Penn football going forward. And it, not that uh, Priori's indicated that it'll go in any direction besides Glover, but uh, I still think it's there's a compelling case to have Robinson uh, get out there for us. Yeah, I mean, you can't win games when you're not moving the football and when you're not stopping other people from moving football. I mean... 244 total yards of offense, and they gave up 410 to Dartmouth. That's just not going to get the job done. Um, I think that you can see that they definitely are hurting on defense right now with some injuries, and then kind of like to Mark's point, like, you know, is the quarterback situation really resolved, or is it just kind of still muddled in the way that it was at the beginning of the season? Definitely, and, and you know, uh, on that point, we touted last week the defensive line of this Penn team, and They've got a lot of talent there, but, um, and I, I mean, you can, can read more about this on the dp.com, but. Uh, Promotion. <laughs> but, you know, a, a lot of the takeaways from that game have to do with Penn just getting beat in the trenches. I mean, the D line did not look like the same one that we watched in the Bucknell game. Um, they could not get to the quarterback, really, just, you know was not what you need from that, that cru crucial part of the defense and that really talented unit um, of Penn just didn't play like we expected them to. I think that's exactly right. Um, on both sides of the ball, Penn really got beat on the line. Uh, on defense, they thrashed us in the running game, uh, and we started stacking the box, and because of that, uh, Derek Kyler was able to hit some people deep. Um, and then on the offensive side, Glover didn't have a great day, and neither did KK Brooks. But the offense didn't. The offensive line didn't really provide them with a lot of space. Glover was forced out of the pocket a lot. He didn't really have that much time. He got sacked for the first time this year, and there weren't a lot of holes for KK Brooks to run through. He was 
had a lot of two-yard, three-yard rushes where he just wasn't getting anywhere. Um, and, and I think moving forward, the, the Quakers definitely need to improve there if they want any shot of, of moving up the ranks in Ivy football. You know, and as, uh, <clears throat> as hype as we were about the defense, they were not playing necessarily the strongest opponents in the first couple weeks. And Dartmouth was kind of the first real test. And frankly, they didn't pass. And, you know, ho- you know hopefully uh, for the Quakers, this, you know, it's not a repeat of another bottom half of the Ivy League defense. But there's no indication as of now that it will be any, that, you know, we'll see significant improvements. We saw some promise early in the season, but... Uh, they really have to do it when Ivy League play comes around because this is this is what matters. Yeah, I think that I mean, do we think that this is more like a one-time like maybe this just wasn't their best game? Maybe we see the team that played the first couple weeks, or do we see this as more of a troubling trend for later on in the season? Uh, I I really think it's a little bit of both. Uh, obviously, the especially in defense, they're they're banged up right now. I mean, they lost San Filippi in the, the first game. They right. lost. Uh, Jaron Walker very early on in, in this game, so the secondary is a little bit banged up. But they're going to be getting reinforcements in, in the middle pretty soon. Uh, Jane Grow and Jake Hammond are both expected to be back pretty soon. Uh, so I, I think it was a combination of them playing a, a more difficult opponent for the first time um, and, and dealing with some of those issues. I, I do think some of them are going to be lingering, but luckily they have a game this weekend against Sacred Heart, where they can sort of uh, uh, sort of work some of these things out and figure out what needs to be done before they get back to Ivy play against Columbia in two weeks. Right, and and uh, I think we should note also that they were uh, on the road against Dartmouth. That's a long trip all the way up to Hanover, and uh, having played Bucknell and and been kind of around either home or, or in the in the Philly area, they hadn't really. Um, experienced that kind of a, a trip yet um, this season obviously and um, so I think you know you can you can chalk a, a little bit of the the downturn in the play up to that as well and and it's I mean it's something they're gonna have to learn how to do they've got some tough road games still to play this season but uh, something maybe they can iron out in this trip to Sacred Heart. Just an interesting note actually Dartmouth's uh, leading rusher was their backup Wildcat quarterback who Gerbino, scored. Gerbino killed us. Um, he was also the one who scored yep. last year uh, and, and led them down the field at the the very end, but we just could not stop him. He was good for seven, eight yards every time. Now's a good time to transition and, and talk just a, a little bit about some other sports at Penn. I know uh, women's soccer had a great weekend. They uh, obviously had, two weeks ago had a draw and raised a lot of questions about whether they could score on Ivy defenses, and I think they put a lot of those questions to bed. Um, putting two goals in the back of the net against Cornell um, and also earning another shutout. I think they're fourth straight now um, and just really impressive showing from them. So uh, well done, women's soccer. Yeah, I think that they really are showing that they are going to be able to contend this year in the Ivy League. Um, you know, they just have kind of been able to sustain the play that they've you know, started out, you know, with hot play at the beginning of the season, and they just kind of continued that, and I think that we might have thought that they were going to taper off a little bit and come back, but, like, at the same time, they just keep playing solid games. I mean, another 2-0 win over Cornell. Um, if they just keep doing that, they might just find themselves right at the top of the conference at the season's end. Definitely. 
And a lot of credit, I think, has to go to uh, Coach Van Dyke. I mean, this is, what, her fourth season? And so this is the first year where she has all of her recruits, and we're, you know, we're seeing the results of it. They're, I mean, it's from the time I got here, women's soccer is actually my first story. And it was a, I think, I believe either a 1-1 or a 0-0 tie against Dartmouth, who was one of the lead bottom feeders that year. And to see where this program's come just in my time, like, you know, covering the sport, it's pretty astounding. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think it's an interesting parallel because in, in my time being here, both men's and women's soccer have had a lot of trouble scoring. Uh, and this year, men's soccer has had a lot of the same problems, whereas women's soccer has really broken out and, and become an offensive powerhouse in, in the league. I, I know that they're leading the league in, in goals scored and uh, goals per game, and I'm pretty sure that they've played less games and they still have more goals scored. Um, and they've still only let up, I think the number is three, uh, three goals in eight games, three goals in nine games, which is just really impressive. They're, they're just playing really good soccer right now. Well, we kind of see the difference. You have a men's soccer team that seems to be perpetually rebuilding. They got a new coach this year, and they really struggled towards the end of the Fuller era, but uh, women's soccer has kind of kept it steady, and uh, they're really responding to Van Dyke this year. Definitely. And and, and I've talked with, with Van Dyke and with a number of the people on the team about um, they really feel both, both in the kind of building up over the last few years, but especially this season, there's been a real culture shift, um, people taking more responsibility and uh, kind of just, just playing in a style and with a mindset that's much more conducive to this, um, you know, the, this uh, higher uh, productivity offense and it's paying dividends for them. So, yeah, yeah I think that that is like the key ingredient of like you know a team's success in the Ivy League is you kind of like you know you kind of rebuild 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 and then there's this point where you know you kind of all come together and you just it just happens you know and I think that you know from those conversations that you've had it seems like they are at that point and I think that that's really exciting I think that it's really exciting that they have come out and done this and played so well and that they keep, have the potential to keep on playing well and you know into the next couple months. Totally. I mean, still with uh, soccer, we'll bring up a later, but you have to talk about the play of uh, senior Scott Forbes. I mean, he's really uh, 11 saves uh, in, a, in, a, in a double overtime game, only gets up one goal at the very end. I mean, that's a, that's a Tim Howard-esque performance. Uh, also in a loss like Tim Howard, but... <laughs> but, I mean, you know, for as... For as much trouble as the offense has had, you know the Penn's up Penn men soccer defense has been a real bright spot. And you know, Ivy League plays, they they've only played I think Cornell. They've only yeah they played one Ivy League game against Cornell, so they have, they have some time to turn around. Like most sports, it's Ivy play that matters. So you know if the offense catches fire in Ivy play, this team could be dangerous. But there's no real indication that they will. But if you know. They turn sure. And I mean, you know, the new coach Brian Gill obviously is still trying to get his footing, but um, it seems like he's building a connection with the team, and so that I think there's a lot promising there. Maybe not this season, but but in seasons to come. I mean, they have a strong team. I mean, we ran a piece. Uh, one of our writers wrote about uh, senior Gavin Barger. Yep. Uh, you know, he was guys 
three-year, two, three-year starter his senior season due to injuries and in general hasn't really gotten a lot of time this year. He's someone who's really trying to help shape the program uh, for years to come. So I think there's reason to be optimistic in the next couple of years. I don't necessarily, unlikely we see some big turnaround this year, but it's a relatively young team and I think they're, you know, new coach. Uh, upperclassmen that want to leave the program better than they found it, and that's kind of the that's kind of how most you know turnarounds start. Definitely, yeah. Um, well, in other news, um, volleyball team was also in action this weekend. Um, they had a doubleheader on Friday and Saturday against Yale and Brown. Um, Yale, the reigning Ivy League champs, came in and just kind of did their thing and swept the Quakers three zip. And then the next night, um, the red and blue were up two games to none on Brown and sadly fell 3-2. Uh, um, that team's still looking for their first Ivy League win. They're heading up to Harvard and Dartmouth. Um, still looking for the first win in the Ivy League under Coach Ian Braddock. That's, and, and, and that, that's a really tough result, and um, you know, I think it's, it's worth thinking about. Like I don't think that's what this team or any of us were expecting coming into this season. That's a team that um, I usually pencil in as one that's at least pretty good and, and, and often better than that. And uh, um, it's a, a little surprising, I think, to start 0-3, especially with two sweeps. I mean, Princeton's always tough. It's hard to start the season with Princeton, but to, to not follow it up with a win is, is tough. Yeah, I think the hardest part is that those games were at home. I think that it would have been different if they had been on the road and you would have seen that result. I think that, you know, you could have chalked that one up to like, okay, new coach, new environment, they're going into hostile territory. But, um, you know, the, the losses to Princeton and Yale are, you know, those are just the best teams in the conference. Those are just going to be tough games to win no matter what. But then losing to Brown at home hurts a little bit because now you're just that much more behind the eight ball, you know, for the rest of the season. I think that, you know, after the year that they had under – coach, you know, the former coach, um, Katie schumacher Collie. Um, I think we expected a little bit more out of this team than maybe we thought, um, or than they maybe had been capable of, potentially. Um, but they've got a tough slate coming up, you know, going to Harvard and Dartmouth next week. Um, Harvard's going to be a tough one, but so it's, I, I think that, you know, it's not, it might be too early to count them out of an Ivy League title, but... It's just tough to lose those couple at home right out of the gate when you should have maybe won two out of three, maybe. Right. Yeah, I don't think we can discount. This team's gone over a lot. I mean, three coaches in three years, and that's tough on a team. Mm -hmm. It's on a, on a sport that relies so much on chemistry and positioning. I, it's, it's it's just not easy. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that necessarily excuses the start entirely, but I think it's an explanation. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that it, like... Speaking as someone who has had three coaches in three years, it's it's extremely challenging, and that's not even in a team sport itself. You know, I think that like like you said, like the cohesiveness that's necessary, and like a volleyball play to execute it, you need, you know, you've got three different coaching styles that they're all thinking about maybe at the same exact time, which is pretty challenging, I'd imagine. Not even coaching styles, but different systems too. Mm -hmm. uh, each year having to, I I don't know the specifics of each coach's system, but each year having to come in and just sort of learn a different way of playing is just a lot for a team to handle and it's it's tough to come in each year and basically have to start from scratch so while we would all like them to do better that's certainly 
uh, a, a reason for them to struggle. Mm. And I mean, they have the pieces. Like they have, you know, a couple really good hitters. Parker Jones, Raven Suleiman are really good hitters. Um, you know, they've gotten some really good time out of the libero, Caroline Pure. Um, you know, they have the pieces there. I think that it's just getting them all to work in the same direction seems like the next step for them in these next couple weeks as they continue in their Ivy League play. Keep in mind, a very strong freshman class, four starters. I, this year, again, we've said, I guess you said men's soccer, there's there's definitely more than enough time for them to turn around. This is, a, this is definitely of the teams in Penn Athletics that are struggling, one of the more talented, and they're also young. Right. So it's, re, you know, there's a, there truly is a lot of optimism around Penn Volleyball. So... Now let's uh, get into everybody's favorite segment, the hard-nosed player of the week. Because it's early in the semester, um, do a quick uh, explanation. Uh, every week we try and pick the Penn athlete who is the most hard-nosed or the toughest. Um, Mark Carter and I will each nominate somebody, and then Pollock or whoever is our special guest that week will get to choose, and that'll be the winner of the award. And uh, Hopefully not UOC again. <laughs> yes. Ho- hopefully we'll have a variety of guests who uh, bring something new and exciting every week. Of course. <laughs> well, so, I'm, yeah. I'm particularly excited for this because it's my first hard-nosed player of the week of the year. Um, and so for my nomination, I'm going to no- nominate um, Alexa Schneck of the field hockey team. Scored a pair of goals in their route of Temple, three-zip, um, here at Franklin Field. Very hard-nosed. Field hockey is particularly hard-nosed. Have you ever seen that? I mean, it's just, it's fun to watch. It's tough on your back. Yeah. yeah. Just bending down the entire game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's hard-nosed. That's yeah. true. All right, Mark? Um, so, you know, Carter likes to go with the glitz and glamour of the offense, but I will reward uh, our netminders. I, I alluded to it earlier in the podcast, but I think this is a no-brainer this week. Scott Forbes, two overtimes, over 100 minutes, 11 saves, lets up one goal at the end. I don't know if you get a, can get a grittier performance than that. I mean, this is a guy who's consistently been at the top of the league. Last year, he actually led the Ivy League in save percentage, even while battling, uh, even while battling for the starting job. And now this year, he's kept up the same thing. Still has an 88% save percentage, which if he kept that up based off last year, he'll finish at or near the top of the league. And, you know, to hold, to get peppered with that many shots, I mean, that's like a shot every 10 minutes, you know, to stay on your toes and be ready. I don't think that there's necessarily a performance that shows toughness quite like, uh, quite like Scott Forbes had this week against Cornell. Great. Um, so I'm also going soccer, but, uh, my nominee is, uh, Ali Traska. She, um, for, for women's soccer this weekend against Cornell, she scored one of the two goals, um, which was one of the first two goals uh, in Ivy League play for the team. But even more importantly, I, I want to highlight her this week because she leads the team in assists. And um, I think that's something that uh, is really important. People don't talk about uh, necessarily like soccer stats like that as much, mostly just uh, talk about goals and saves and that kind of thing. But soccer is a game of passes. I mean... Um, I don't know what the, the number is for the Ivy League. I, I know in, in the pros, uh, it really gets up there, the, the, the number of, of passes before uh, you know you can create a shot or before you can even, even think about scoring a goal. And so um, to be someone that's been consistently uh, game in and game out 
racking up these assists, creating opportunities for her teammates. Um, I, I just think that given the offensive explosion that the women's soccer team is uh, experiencing this season, you, you can't highlight that enough. I mean, the, you, you got to credit the facilitators um, just as much as the people putting the ball actually in the net. So that's my nominee. All right, I, I have my decision made here. And first I'm going to run through why the, the two people who picked them were, were uh, didn't, didn't get didn't get the nomination, or didn't get the, the victory this week. Paul, like, why are you looking at me like I'm going to be sad in one of those two people? Who right. I don't like this. Well, so <laughs> Alexa like Schneck had some great goals, but I, I, this is about you. This is not about her. Alexa you said is a top 50 player. <laughs> you said that uh, field hockey played at Franklin Field. That is categorically wrong. They play at Vagelos Field. I don't so, think we should get caught up in technicalities. But but this is what this is all about here. This is what you have to do to appease the the selection committee here. Uh, and then moving on to our dear, our, dear, our dear friend Steel. Samuel Mitchell. Uh, while Ali Traska has had some great assists this season, season, she didn't have any this week. She had a nice goal. Uh, and I don't even think it was the best goal that they scored this week because Emily Sands had a beautiful backheel flick uh, into the net. So you get points off for that. And the clear winner here is Scott Forbes and Mark Margolis. Scott Forbes made some ridiculous diving saves. He made a couple back-to-back saves. He was, uh, I mean, this is more of a hockey expression, but he was really standing on his head uh, in the back of the net. Uh, and he really kept pen within that game. Uh, so, the victory goes to Scott Forbes and Mark Margolis. I mean, look, in going through the gamut of Penn Athletics, for me it was a no-brainer to pick Scott Forbes. And honestly, you know, pandering to a really informed voter base that is John Pollock, I knew that a smart man would make the smart choice. This whole part's getting cut. Blasphemous. <laughs> <laughs> Here we have it. Mark Margolis. First, uh, first win of the year, first of many. All right, well, congrats, Mark. Um, thanks so much, as always, to my co-hosts, and thanks, uh, Pollock, for joining us. This has been The Penalty Box. Um, our producer is Allie Johnson. Thanks to the DP for sponsoring us, and have a great week, everyone.